Well, when you make a paper chain, you have two sides. You have the inside, you have the outside. And during this series, we've been talking about how that can be a little bit of a picture of our lives. You have your interior life, your wishes, hopes, and dreams, those things about you that we don't know unless you choose to share. And then you have your external life. This is kind of the labels of you that maybe you're a parent or a professional, maybe you're a teacher or a lawyer. These are the external parts of your life. And in a paper chain, the two shall never meet. You've got the inside, you've got the outside, and that is one way to live. But we've also been talking about how there's a different kind of way to make a chain, and that's a Mobius strip, where you take a strip of paper and you turn it uh, halfway and then connect it. And when you do that, it looks like this. And with a Mobius strip, if you start on the outside and go around, all of a sudden you're on the inside. And then as you're on the inside, all of a sudden, wait a minute, you're on the outside again. And then you're back on the inside. Because with a Mobius strip, there is only one side. And this is like a picture of another way to live. Where we're living with integrity, where what's inside and what's outside are the same side. That you're the same in private that you are in public. You're the same essential you. And in this series called A Hidden Wholeness, we're, we're looking at this passage that, that Steve just read for us in 2 Corinthians, and we're talking about what does it mean to live with integrity? What does it mean to live an undivided life? We're really talking about the rejoining, the lifelong journey of rejoining your role in your soul. Often our roles are those external parts of our lives. You know, it's the hats you wear, it's the responsibilities that you have, the labels that tell the world who you are. But the thing is, apart from any of these roles, there is you. Their inside soul, that part of you that we can't see. It's the part of you that is your fears and your joys. It's that part of you that shows up maybe only to yourself at 3 a.m. when you can't sleep. And rejoining of role and soul into an integrated whole is not like a one-time event though we wish it was. It's more of a lifelong journey, a lifelong movement towards an integrated life. Now, if the movement is towards an integrated life, we have to talk for a minute about how did we get to a divided life? And on some level, a divided life is almost inevitable for humans. Even though nobody says it overtly, In a million different little ways, we are told, beginning in childhood, that we need to be masked, that we need to be armored. We are told to posture and prove and perform. In a way, it's part of how you learn to survive. We learn that presenting a certain sort of self is the only safe and sane and secure way to live. We're told in all these little subtle ways to, you know, show up and and buck up and suck it up and (laughs) work and produce and prove yourself worthy of love, worthy of belonging. 
And we all have ways in which we hide. In fact, it's really just the story of the Bible. We all have ways in which we hide our true selves. First, from God and from ourselves, then from each other. It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when the first humans were naked and ashamed. And so what did they do? They hid. And we've been hiding ever since. But the word integrity comes from the word integration, which comes from the word integer. It just means whole number. So to live with integrity is to live with a, with a wholeness, with a through line. It's to live undivided. To increasingly throughout life live in an undivided way. Really what it is from just looking at it through the story of the Bible is it's to hear and respond to the voice of our loving maker who comes to us as he came to those first humans in hiding. And just simply says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Where are you? God says to them. And who told you that you were naked? Who told you this? See, we hide because we've listened to the voice of the serpent rather than the voice of our maker. And a hidden wholeness is a lifelong journey towards an interior life just pushing itself out into all the externals that are also you. So, so that who you are inside and who God says you are just pushes through, just oozes out into an undivided life. You know, the cool thing about a Mobius strip, um, maybe you know this already, but like, say you take a scissors, or in the metaphor, some stress comes along. With the paper chain, the stress comes and begins to cut, right? The scissors come to do their work. And what happens is they cut. And you end up with two. You end up with two. Divided. Separate parts. But what's so interesting with a Mobius strip is when the scissors come, when the stressors come and they, they start to do their work, they start to, to put that, that pain, that suffering, that stress upon your life. Do you know what actually happens with a Mobius strip? Isn't that cool? It's enlarged. It's still one. Like the stress and the pain and the suffering, it, it didn't further divide the Mobius strip. It, it it, act, it actually enlarged it. It actually made it bigger. And in our passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in a city called Corinth. And the church that he's writing to has been questioning his leadership, has been questioning his apostolic authority. If you read the whole of the book, you see that Paul is responding to these people who are questioning kind of his life. They're questioning his faith. They're questioning his, his leadership as an apostle. And basically, these people are saying, you can't really trust Paul. God is not really with Paul. Because, you see, the thing about Paul was he experienced an inordinate amount of pain and suffering in his life. 
he had a tremendous amount of things go wrong in his life. And some of the people around him are wondering, like, how can this be a man of God when he suffered so much? In fact, in one portion of scripture, he just he kind of just lists all of these tragedies that he's had, all these difficulties and struggles. He says, I've been imprisoned. I've been flogged five times. I've received 31 lashes. I've been beaten with rods, stones, three times shipwrecked, spent a day and a night in the open sea, constantly endangered by rivers and robbers and my own countrymen. He says, I've known hunger. I've known thirst. So here are these people. And they're basically saying, how can God be with a man who has such a tremendous amount of pain and suffering? Surely when God is with you, he protects you. Like surely when God is with you, you prosper. He's had so many struggles and these people are just starting to say like, if you're such a faithful follower of Jesus, why is God not protecting you? from all this trouble, from all this hardship, from all this suffering. And Paul is writing this letter to them, really to teach them about like the true nature of Christian hope and suffering. He's writing this letter. What does it look like? Paul is, is, is saying, like, what does it look like when the scissors come, when the hardship comes, when the pain and the struggle comes? What does it look like? to be enlarged and to be engulfed in a larger, bigger story and not divided and further fragmented by that pain. So that is what he's writing about. So in this portion of scripture that we're looking at today, I'm just reminded of three things. The three things are my COVID pants, the acorn, and being engulfed. Okay, first we're going to start with my COVID pants. Um, when we were in shutdown, did anybody here have like a COVID uniform of sorts <laughs> that you were wearing basically the same clothes all the time. I had this one pair of black pants. I love these pants. And I just basically wore them all the time and shut down until they were completely threadbare and fabric worn. They were my COVID pants. I mean, I wore them so much. I wore them out. Like I, I sadly had to throw them away. Otherwise I would be showing you my COVID pants <laughs> right now, but I wore them out. They wasted away. And Paul says in this passage, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And maybe a better way to say it is like, we are wearing away. We are. We're wearing away. Like my COVID pants, we are wearing away. And Paul says it almost like a throwaway sentence. He just sort of says it wasting away. He's assuming that the people that he knew he was writing to in the ancient world, it was a given that they understood they're wasting away, that they understood that everything in life is wearing away. And the Greek scholars who talk about this section of scripture will tell you that he's not just talking about the body, like our bodies wasting away. He is talking about life in this world in this visible world. So by putting it in the present progressive, he's saying everything in the world is wearing away. Everything in the world is steadily, irreversibly falling apart. Everything. 
because your body is one piece of that. Your body is wearing away. Your heart right now is ticking. And it's not ticking like an electric clock. It's ticking like a wind-up clock, like, you know, when you were born. It was wound up with, like, a certain number of ticks. And even as we sit here now together, each of our hearts is moving towards that final breath. How's that for your encouraging <laughs> encouraging note for the day? You're so, so glad you came. No, the, but the body, it's true, right? It's true. The body is wearing away. But it's not just the body. Everything's wearing away. Like, your relationships are wearing away. And when you get a group of friends together and you're close and you're connected, and what happens? Time. Circumstances. Wear it away. Your relationship with your family, same thing, time and circumstances. And then one family member at a time dies off. Everything is wearing away. Everything is wasting away. Even your skills. You don't stay on top of your game forever. You don't stay in demand forever. It says everything. That's what Paul is talking about. And when he wrote to these people, what's interesting is it was given to them. That was widely understood. Basically, he's saying, like, everything your heart desires is almost like a wave in the sand. Like, the minute you start to experience that thing that your heart really desires, it resides with the tide. And you can't pin it down. You can't, like, keep it right here with you. You want to just obtain it and say, like, I'm hanging on to it. You want to, like, muscle it into this forever. But everything, Paul's saying, everything is wearing away. It's wasting away. And the thing that's so interesting is I would venture to guess almost every um, time period prior to the one that we're living in now, even if you go back like 70 years, if you read history, you read different cultures, you read different time periods, like suffering, pain, the fact that everything is wearing away and wasting away, commonly understood, commonly accepted. There wasn't quite as much of a struggle around pain and suffering. There wasn't quite a freak out that we have today. They were not quite as surprised by it. Paul is telling us here, like, don't be surprised by suffering. Everything is wasting away. Everything is wearing away. Everything in life is receding from you. It's like, to borrow the phrase from Kate Bowler's recent book, there is no cure for being human. To be human is that terrible things will happen. Wonderful things will happen. That is the nature of being human. There's no cure for being human. No one escapes pain. No one escapes death. Everything's wearing away. So uh, in some ways, I wonder like, if the pandemic has shown us in a way just that like, this idea of choice that we always will have the choice to just curate our lives however we want. I wonder if the pandemic, in a way, just as struggle and suffering and tragedy and bad news does, I wonder if it has, like the pandemic has kind of helped us see the illusion and the luxury of choice. That this you know, idea that we could just constantly be curating our lives in a for forever upward mobile sort of direction is like it's an obsession that we picked up in modernity it's not it's other time periods never thought this way the scripture doesn't talk about life this way 
even when you have made wonderful choices in life, terrible things still come. Even when you have chosen wonderful things in life, terrible still, things still come your way because life is, it, it is both terrible and it is beautiful. And the challenge is almost like an aperture, you know, like, a, um, a, like if you have one of those old cameras and you're zooming in on something. I think the challenge is in life to like zoom it out wide enough to include the terrible and the beautiful. Right? Like when, when tragedy comes, when terrible things come, sometimes what happens is we, we zoom in on the terrible and we're given to despair. But right there in the terrible, the sun is still rising and it's still setting. And right in the midst of the pain, like I can still look at my sleeping child and count the eyelashes on their eyes. And it's beautiful, like right in the terrible. And then on the other hand, like when life is all sunshine and rainbows, when it's all happy and good and everything seems to be going well, it's almost like to zoom out there too and to remember that even then when things are all going well and going great and there's so much joy and love and so much to celebrate, that there still are unjust systems and broken things in this world. There are still are people suffering under the crushing weight of poverty there still are orphans and widows. So to zoom out and to be able to, no matter where I am, see that to be human, it, it is terrible and it is beautiful. And like Frederick Buechner says, it's terrible and it's beautiful and do not be afraid. That is the challenge right before us in being, in being human. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul also says, remember the pattern of suffering makes me think like remember the acorn right because you know what's inside a tiny little acorn though you can't see it inside a tiny little acorn smushed up in there somehow is a mighty oak tree and inside a tiny acorn is the power to not just produce that one tree but that one tree then a forest and then like that forest could like fill an entire continent with wood in one little acorn power there's like infinitely more power and potential in you power for goodness for character for beauty for creativity for integrity for wisdom infinitely more but the pattern with the acorn that we see is all that is in the little seed but it has to die like if the acorn as jesus says does not fall to the ground and die, it doesn't produce the life. And this is also what Paul is talking about, that every human soul is made in the image of God and that you have infinitely more potential and power than an acorn does, but there is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no resurrection without death. In other words, the power, the potential will not be released except through the struggle, the trial, 
the little deaths and big deaths that we face. So one time in his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis was talking about this, like the nature of love involving death, involving vulnerability. And he said this, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up, safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So what he's saying is, if it really is common sense, like, if you don't want your heart to be broken, then don't give it to anyone or anything. But what's the alternative to a broken heart? Shallowness, hardness, impenetrability, unbreakable. And we all know people whose lives perhaps seem charmed, but who avoid heartbreak at all costs. And there is no glory in the life they have. There's no weight. There's no way for greatness to be unleashed in your life except through broken hearts. It is the way of love. It's the only way. And see, whenever we experience suffering, whether it was Paul, whether it was Job, whether it's you and I today, it is easy to wonder, like, in the midst of the darkness, is God not with me right now? Because I sure don't see him. I sure don't feel him like we just sang about. Did I do something wrong? And Paul doesn't just respond to those questions with, like, God is with you, which, of course, God is with you. He doesn't just respond with that. He goes further. He actually says something more. He says, the way the gospel power works is death leading to resurrection. That's the way it works. So he's talking about, he says in this one part, we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. Like, what's he talking about here? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death. What does it mean to be alive? According to Paul's, it is to always be giving, being given over to death. Because to love is to be vulnerable. You want to be alive with love, you will always be given over to death. Little deaths, big deaths, all the time. Economic deaths, relational deaths, deaths deaths to the ego, all sorts of deaths. It's like a metaphor. For we who are alive, you want to be alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. This is the gospel, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Why is he talking about here? It can seem so perplexing, right? Paul is saying the way the gospel works is death, leading to resurrection, weakness, leading to triumph and exaltation. Like he says, the pattern that we see in the life of Jesus is Good Friday, Silent Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. And that same pattern in the life of Jesus is the pattern of our lives as well. 
all of the little deaths, the losses, the emotional deaths, deaths, all the different things we suffer. He's saying there is no cure to being human, and death is a part of that. He's saying just as Jesus' suffering and death led to greater life, that is true for us as well. So he's saying, I find that when I am living in Jesus, the same thing happens. My deaths produce life. That my deaths seem to lead to a greater life. They lead to a, a, he's talking about leading to a greater life in a couple different ways. The part where he says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What he's talking about there is basically that there are people experiencing life because of his suffering, right? Like because he was shipwrecked, he was able to take the gospel to people. People experience spiritual life because of the things he suffered. And that is not just for apostles. It's not just for people in professional ministry. That is just the nature of love. Like C.S. Lewis was saying, to love is to be vulnerable. So while this loss and this death is at work in you, this life is at work in you. It's the nature of love. It's the nature of the gospel. To love is to be vulnerable. Vulnerability always involves suffering on some level. Okay, lastly, let's just talk about like being engulfed. Because <laughs> when it comes to Paul's suffering, and we're going to actually tap into this next week as well, so I hope we'll get into this more, but Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh. Now, here's the thing. like Tons of PhD dissertations have been written about what the heck was the thorn in the flesh that Paul is talking about? The bottom line is we don't know. But what we do know is whatever it was, Paul says, he asked God multiple times to take it away, to take it away, to take it away. And at least this side of eternity, God did not. Does it remind you of anybody else? Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus asked God to remove it, the suffering. And God did not. But God said to Jesus what God said to Paul and what God says to every one of us, and that is that my power always comes to perfection in weakness. Like my life-giving power can only explode into the world and into your life and into the lives of those around you through weakness. And that's where Paul says this. It leads him to say, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's like Paul is saying the secret is I've been so melted by the fact that Jesus went through death and resurrection for us that I am so moved to go through death and resurrection for him. Like when people throughout history have been engulfed by this story, a power that is from another world, gets released in their lives. Resurrection out of death is like the meaning of history. Resurrection out of tragedy 
it's the meaning in the story. It's interesting because there are places earlier in scripture where Paul is saying like, I was, you know, crushed in despair. But in this section of scripture, Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair but not abandoned, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. It's a, there's a sense where you're reading like all these different words of Paul and you're like, Paul, which one is it? Is it a contradiction? I think Paul is speaking to the human reality that when you are going through suffering, sometimes you just, are crushed. You just are in despair. You just do not see in the middle anything of hope or life. And then it's like Paul is like looking back and later, you know, he's able to look back and say, yeah, perplexed. down for sure, but not destroyed. It's almost like in the middle sometimes we can't see. And then we can look back and we can see that, yeah, actually, God was carrying us there too. And that in it all, underneath it all, even now, are the everlasting arms of God. And that's what he's speaking of there. So we're going to continue this next week. I hope you'll join us for that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For these, just the mystery of your ways. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the power that was released when you overcame death. We pray that that same resurrection power might be just pushing out through our lives today and the circumstances that we're facing. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.